We are alive to the fact that Transportation India is just goes beyond moving people from one point to another, but serving a larger social purpose of providing affordable option to the poor and the needy. Welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the CSIS Energy Security and Climate Change Program. I'm your host, Lisa Highland. This week, we look at e-mobility in India. Our guests are Siddharthan Balasubramanian, Senior Advisor of Strategy at ClimateWorks, and Neelama Jain with the Wadwani Chair in U.S.-India Policy Studies at CSIS. My colleague Sarah Ladislaw talks with them about how COVID-19 is changing energy and climate change strategies, and then they focus in on electric mobility in India and how Indian states are crafting innovative approaches to stimulate transformation across the Indian value chain and how to accelerate sustainable mobility solutions. I'll turn it over to Sarah now for this great discussion. All right. Well, welcome and thank you, Neelama and Sid, for joining us on today's episode of Energy 360. Thank you very much. Thanks, uh, Sarah, for having us here. Great. Well, we're going to talk about the work that both CSIS and ClimateWorks uh, Foundation have been doing on e-mobility, but I'd be remiss not to start with a recognition of the moment in time that we all find ourselves in, which is... Uh, the midst of a global pandemic that has changed the energy and climate future, as well as our economic and social reality for the time being. I thought it might be good to start off this conversation before diving into some of the details of the work that we've been doing on e-mobility to talk about how uh, this pandemic environment and the post-pandemic environment, uh, hopefully when we get there, may have changed some of the way in which we're thinking about this issue and how climate works may be approaching some of the way it thinks about uh, the future of, of climate action. Sid, maybe to start with you, would, would you be able to talk a little bit about how COVID-19 has translated into your strategic planning at Climate Works and how you're thinking about your work going forward? Thanks, Sarah. Again, once again, thanks to CSIS, yourself, Sarah, Rick, Nilima, and other colleagues um, for creating this opportunity. And we just talked about it. We are going through the most painful and unprecedented time of our lives. Um, I never seen an entire world united in suffering like this. And my hope is we will come out of this stronger and more united. But the signals are not great at this point, but that's my hope. Um, and climate works, like all of the entire community, um, going through a phase which is, again, there's no precedent. So we are trying to adjust to the evolving situation. And we focus on three broad areas where we have to quickly uh, adjust our program, our people, as well as our grantee network, partners network. In terms of our people, the priorities, obviously, like CSI and others institutions would do is to secure and ensure the health and safety of our staff members and their families. And for that reason, we have taken some steps to ensure it is. In terms of our grantees and the partners, um, we want to be really sensitive to their needs and ensure their well-being, not only their staff members, including the families are well and come out of this crisis uh, safe. And uh, we Accordingly, we all reschedule in-person gathering, postpone all of that, converted all of them into virtual convenings. We have issued no-cost extension, um, and we are pretty flexible about adjusting budget and others. And we continue to work closely with our partners to understand and respond to the other needs, collective needs. And when it comes to our work, uh, like you said in the beginning, we are even more committed now 
to our mission to end the climate crisis by amplifying the uh, power of philanthropy. And we, we are doing some adjustment to the strategy. One is focusing significant philanthropic attention on greening the various stimulus plans and packages, particularly this large infrastructure projects, which are part of the packages, you know, how to get it right so that we don't get into the, again, once again, carbon intensive lock-in um, infrastructures. The second one is ensuring that the near-term decline in emissions uh, caused by COVID-19 particularly in India, in terms of air quality, are not lost uh, because of any rebound effect. So that's the second thing we are focusing. And we are also aggressively supporting countries uh, to continue to meet the Paris commitments, um, which also meet the development needs, particularly like India. And the lastly, we are investing in smart communication, mobilization, behavior change, climate strategies, that we should ideally harness public energy and confidence to help the world act decisively in the future. Um, the strategic plan is we are fully committed to our mission. Um, and this is truly a dynamic time and no one can predict the long-term path that will unfold us. But however, we do foresee tight integration of the lesson from the COVID-19 to our work program and services going forward. Great, thank you. Neelama, would you like to add any reflections in particular about how COVID-19 in that environment has affected some of the policies and trends that you focus on when thinking about Indian energy policy? Uh, as Sid um, very uh, rightly pointed, that these are unprecedented times and, and uh, especially in, in emerging market like India, uh, there have been profound effects across the energy sector. There are some universal trends um, that India has or India has seen in the electricity sector. And, but there are very unique uh, challenges as well. I mean, you know, as you know, India is, is a country of 1.3 billion people. Uh, largely, the policy is actioned. Um, by the states. So state play a huge role um, in driving the, the transformation. Um, now, COVID has had, um, as far as decision-making is concerned and as far as, um, you know, providing energy access to, to people in India, there has been, uh, you know, a large impacts. Um, so, I mean, DISCOMs, the distribution utilities in India were already suffering before the, the pandemic began. Um, in fact, the GDP was pretty low and, and actually lowest in many, many quarters. And several industries were already facing a slowdown uh, in the last uh, so many months before the, uh, the, pan the pandemic started affecting the decision making uh, in the country. Um, so what the pandemic has done is that it has accentuated uh, these several challenges that the industry was already facing. Um, so as you know, the utility sector in India, uh, the distribution uh, stakeholders, which are the, uh, the discounts, the, the, the wholesale and the retail uh, electricity distribution companies in the country were the leakest uh, link and what we saw was that the financial losses uh, doubled down. There were huge leakages because there was obviously less uh, demand. There were changes in the demand patterns. There was a drop of 
at least 25% uh, in the demand patterns. The demand pattern uh, changed from you know, high revenue um, consumer sectors to low revenue and high subsidized uh, consumers, such as um, the households and the agriculture users. So, yeah, I think we we will we have to see, you know, by the day how this pans out um, for the distribution uh, sector largely, and and then uh, electricity industry as a whole, because it's it will have rippling effects not just for the energy sector but but across the uh, the economy value chain in the country mm. it's it's such a uh, disorienting and perplexing uh crisis to find ourselves in accelerating some trends uh, and slowing down others and so we'll we'll be left to parse that out for some time to come i believe um, I wanted to turn to the work that we, uh, CSIS and, and Climate Works, have been doing on the role of subnational cooperation in accelerating e-mobility in India. Maybe, Sid, to start with you, you know, what are some of the key initiatives that um, have shaped Climate Works' contributions towards accelerating the adoption of e-mobility in India, and why is this such a major priority for you? Thanks, Sarah. I think uh, Neelima's remarks on the energy totally linked to what we are going to talk about on transportation, particularly EV. I think they are they go together very rightly, and I think sexes of one sector depending on the other one. Um, so we'll get into that in detail. I think our vehicle, the Climate Works primary vehicle to support India EV ambition, Angoli C what we call the Electric Mobility Initiative, uh, which is a multi-foundation, multi-year, multi-million initiative. We launched in the early 2018, so just about two years uh, into the program. And we have done it in partnership with uh, several foundations. Eight of us are together in this right now. And Climate Works played a lead role in shaping the initiative by uh, thought leadership and convening. And there are specific approaches. As a philanthropy, we have a specific approach. Um, let me cite three of them. And we start with the basic premise that the role of philanthropy is going to be catalytic. It's going to be small, but it's important and should build on the good ongoing work on the ground. It should support the government efforts and help civil society, which include academic research institution, NGOs to play a very constructive role in making India transition to clean transportation a reality. That's the first one. The second approach, we start with the reality check in, in EV in India is a pretty nascent state. And I think we would agree with that. So we knew there were going to be learnings and risks and failures. And our goal was to support India to leapfrog by avoiding the mistakes happen elsewhere, including in the US, Europe, and China, etc. And the third approach is we are alive to the fact that transportation India is just goes beyond moving people from one point to another, but serving a larger social purpose of providing affordable option to the poor and the needy. And I think we are very alive to the fact. And we also believe it is an effort which should cut across uh, national, state, and city level in terms of geographies. In terms of specific initiative, with those approaches in mind, the whole program uh, hinges upon the fact that given it is a new technology, new enterprise, and new pathway for India, there's going to be 
a lot of requirement for what happened in terms of international best practices, tools, expertise. So that the EMIs, actually climate works role here is to, to be the channel for the international expertise and tools to India. We should ideally complement the domestic efforts and more importantly, help build the local capacity. That's a kind of overarching goal of the EMI initiative from our perspective, climate work perspective. And with that in mind, our portfolio covers a broad range guided by a common strategy. Um, and the common strategy identified key barriers, which are well known, for example, the high upfront cost, the lack of long-term policies and incentives, fewer models on the road, lack of charging infrastructure, and low awareness. And this is compounded by the fact that there is a strong and continued resistance by the traditional automobile industry. So the program and the initiative, specific initiatives address the challenges um, collectively, also individually with partners working on supporting national level policies, city government rolling out policies, uh, availing the incentives by the government of India, technical assistance um, in setting up charging infrastructure, convening stakeholders, raising awareness, also technical issues like battery performance, how to get EV finance onto the cycle, et cetera. So that's how the initiative address. I can get into specific one, but I'll just stop there, give the glimpse of you know, the, the kind of initiative we are into. From India's perspective, I think to my knowledge, India is the first country, maybe the only country so far, which positioned mobility as an economic growth opportunity. I heard it from the Prime Minister Modi in 2018 Move Summit, when he shared his vision and set the tone for India's leadership role in converting the vast potential for a shared, connected electric mobility into a growth opportunity. I thought it was quite striking. And it is remarkable how the political tone set by the Prime Minister and others led to something, you know, just for, a, I'll tell you, in 2016, there was hardly any discussion around EV. There are meetings happened, there are mission fame one and others were there. But what I see the massive transformation in the eco space in India is just happened in three years, which is amazing. The California story is almost two decades, right? EV story. The India story, just three years. India has all the ingredients for leadership role. And I think with the massive entrepreneurial spirit, uh, the political will, and um, a new capital, new enterprise ecosystem, they are well positioned to play an amazing world leadership role in cleaning the transportation and clean transportation revolution. And as a philanthropy, Climate Works Foundation, our partner foundation, are very committed to play a supportive role in this process. Yeah, and so one of the follow-up questions I wanted to ask was obviously e-mobility and electric vehicle deployment in India is part of both an energy security and an emissions reduction strategy. Climate Works uh, chiefly interested in the in the climate dimension there, as well as all of the other important public policy aims. But how does this relate to some of your efforts to decarbonize the electric power sector as well to ensure that electric vehicles can have a clean profile in India? Uh, are these related initiatives, or do you really think about these separately? Good question. Uh, in fact, the biggest criticism, not much now, uh, early days of the EV uh, a decade ago, um, was about the fact, you know, if you were to charge um, what you quote unquote the dirty part, what is the benefit of it? And I think increasingly, if you notice that argument is kind of waning down, um, including in India, 
Samsung or the industrial powerful automobile industry association, they don't make these kind of arguments or anything more because uh, even in net and net basis, uh, the emission um, from battery electric vehicles are far lower than IC engines. Um, having said that, to your questions, in fact, I would say the philanthropy efforts in India and in China, Europe, and US too, started with supporting power sector reform program. And many of the areas what Neelima just alluded to, um, while we may call it as in climate language as a decarbonizing grid, the approach in India has always been with a strong development focus, which means helping uh, more renewables onto the grid, which obviously making the greening the grid uh, program kind of a thing, and development of clean energy policies uh, across national, state level, providing mechanism for clean energy finance. Uh, we have run a massive with the White House in the previous administration. Climate Works played a key role bringing several foundations in my White House into setting up the India Clean Energy Fund, which is a 40 million program, 20 million uh, from USAID, including from the foundation, and 20 million from the government of India, Ministry of MNRE, what you call. So that kind of energy finance program, rural energy access, etc. So what I'm trying to say is the work to support cleaning the grid or making the power sector more resilient and climate friendly started much before the transportation work began. And now it is helping a lot in terms of when we go about electrifying transportation that is going to help and making the case even stronger for EV. And just I want to stop with the staggering numbers which are well known uh, particularly in the solar story where I think the clim uh, climate works and other philanthropies played a small role. In 2010, the total installed solar capacity was 10 megawatt. And today it is 30 gigawatt. Uh, it is increased in order of magnitude just in the 10 years. Mm -hmm. And and also the solar price fell by, you know, I think 70 to 80% in the same period, you know, making really competitive with cheaper than the thermal power. Um, so all that saying that our work, we are very conscious of the need to ensure the power sector reforms, providing more renewables onto the grid and electrification of transportation happen together. And some of the initiative we focus are directly talking about the linkages between utility and charging infrastructure to ensure it not only it provides a stable power and cleaner power. And I will, I will end with uh, citing two reports, again, our close partners. One is by the Rocky Mountain Institute in Niti Ayog, just released a report a week ago uh, discussing you know, how the, clean, the st India stimulus package could drive uh, clean energy and clean transition uh, happening. Um, and that brings up the linkage between the power and transportation sector. And two weeks ago or 10 days ago, Bloomberg Philanthropies and BNF, the Blue Energy, Bloomberg Neo Energy Finance brought out the report and really positioned India, how India lesson in clean energy could be a lesson for other countries, developing countries, as they try to come out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just to conclude, you know, I'd be fully aware of these linkages and our portfolios are well aligned just to ensure uh, each reinforce other. 
Great. Thank you, Sid. They are very massive, transformative, and indeed uh, linked challenges. Neelama, I wanted to turn to you. You've also published a recent report called Mapping U.S.-India Partnerships in Electric Mobility, where you highlight some of the emerging trends in the e-mobility sector in India and the United States, and also suggest ways that subnational cooperation between the United States and India could help each country advance some of their uh, objectives. Would you mind talking through a little bit of some of what you saw in that report and some of the ways in which you think subnational cooperation could be helpful? Sure. Um, so, Sarah, as you know, uh, the, the Vadwani CSIS uh, chair has been running this program that sort of enables Indian states to access the, the U.S. public and private sector expertise and technical assistance, strengthening really the energy cooperation between the subnational governments by, um, you know, exchanges on technical um, policy and capacity matters. And what we have seen in the last uh, six years is that these exchanges have resulted in several meaningful developments, not just in identification of uh, mutually beneficial partnerships, but also uh, programs that could, uh, you know, possibly help um, the Indian states in accelerating their collective journey to a, to a better future of mobility, energy, access, and, and several other subjects in, in energy. So uh, really, the, the foundation is, how do we continue to get uh, like-minded states um, together to share and create activities that could result in uh, not just um, meaningful exchanges, but also a collective journey to, uh, to a better uh, energy transition future. Now, building on that sort of work, what we have uh, been able to do through the support of Climate Works is that um, in the first year, we were able to identify several like-minded states between the US and India to sort of talk through the challenges um, that the countries are facing on electric mobility transition as well. I mean, in general, the electric mobility is a, is a niche sector, but in India, the problems are unique. Um, and, and, and each state you know, is, is, a, is a laboratory on its own. So there is much to learn for the US states to, uh, you know, from, the, from the successes and the failures of, of, the, um, of how the Indian states transition. Um, to the sustainable mobility. Now, getting back to the uh, the trends that we have seen in uh, in India, uh, as I said, I would rather uh, sort of uh, differentiate this between before pandemic and after pandemic. So, before pandemic, India was already seeing um, a, um, you know a slowdown. There were several uh, industries that were facing. Um, a low revenue, low return sort of a trend. And especially the automobile industry in India was uh, facing slowdowns that it hasn't seen in many quarters. And for the kind of effort that the Indian government was putting into electric vehicles, especially the results were not uh, proportionate to that effort. Now, as you know, Sarah, the, uh, the current government in India has an ambitious target of converting 15% of the total vehicles to electric by 2024. However, only 400,000 registered vehicles, um, electric vehicles have been sold in the country until February 2020. 
Now, just so you know, India has uh, more than 200 million registered vehicles. So, and also the car ownership in India, um, it actually remains at uh, 20 vehicles per thousand inhabitants. So 90% of the automobile sector in India is driven by the two and three wheelers. Um, also, if we talk about the public fleet, uh, India again has only about 25,000 operational um, buses, which uh, by some account is at least 24 times um, you know, fewer uh, in its public uh, transport fleet if India was to ensure that you know, people follow uh, social distancing. The, the demand for, the, for EVs in India has been weak, largely owing to two factors. One is, of course, the high price point. Um, and the second is uh, because of the limited charging infrastructure. Um, if you look at why there has been, I mean, India is a very uh, price sensitive market and uh, I mean, mass adoption of electric vehicles will not happen uh, unless the, the gap in upfront prices of, uh, you know, electric and ICE vehicles is brought down. Um, just for the context, if you look at the numbers, uh, you know, most Indian car buyers choose cars that are below $10,000. Um, Whereas the EVs, uh, even the, the ones that have limited range, they start uh, from $13,000. So, so that sort of a gap need to be plugged uh, immediately if we are looking to sort of rule out that um, mass adoption. And then there is the, the issue of uh, the limited charging infrastructure because there is just limited ability to set up charging systems in, in multi-unit housing. And of course, electricity supplies remain, uh, remain erratic in, in many parts of the nation. So, so that's where we, we, we stood um, before the pandemic started to influence the decision-making in the country. Now from, from March 24th to May 31st, India saw four successive uh, phases of lockdown. Uh, beginning June 1st, uh, India introduced a new phase of, uh, of lockdown where states announced new measures to sort of resume at least the public fleet, uh, you know, flight operations and economy. Now, um, registrations during the lockdown, registrations in the automobile industry topped by a whooping 70%. Uh, so there has been a significant reduction in, you know, auto manufacturing in the country with losses of about 300 million per day. Uh, now, so those were the trends that, you know, that sort of um, we saw during the, the lockdown. But, but um, at the same time, um, the air quality index, uh, you know, were uh, also noticed to have come down. Uh, the nitrogen dioxide levels came down dramatically because the traffic had disappeared. So uh, also for safety reasons, one would think that the priorities have tended to emphasize you know, individual journeys. But um, we must also be mindful that uh, at least 45% uh, of the urban commuters in India cannot afford private vehicles. So they, they continue to uh, depend upon you know, the public fleet. Uh, so if India needs to make uh, a, a huge uh, impact as far as mobility is concerned, then uh, the focus has to be on two and three 
wheelers, which is the last mile connectivity, and of course the the, the mass mobility, which is the uh, the public fleet. Um, so I, I would I would stop at that, and then we can you know later discuss uh, how uh, some decisions that India has taken has sort of resulted in you know green shoots in the in, in the electric uh, mobility sector. That's great. Thank you, Nilama. Yeah, I, I guess one of the key questions I have is in that context, where are there opportunities for the U.S. and India to collaborate at a subnational level? There are there are similarities in the challenges that we face, but how to work at connecting those uh, common challenges or common uh, opportunities is is a key question. So, Sid, I'm not sure if you've got some ideas about ways in which that can happen, and then maybe Nilama, you could add some of your ideas. What has happened in the U.S. is also fascinating in the middle of the pandemic. Um, while globally, globally the auto sales have come down, two things really beat the trend. One, the EV sales in Europe is really shooting up, mm. uh, particularly led by Germany. Um, and India too, overall automobile numbers as right, Lilima said down, but the E two wheelers, EV two wheelers are picking up uh, in the last one or two months. And the prediction is that potentially in the recovery phase, EV may be the kind of savior, at least for some of the automobile industry recovery, which is a good sign. Yeah. And US, it is, and it's amazing when uh, it's a news, I'm sure all of us are aware. Um, just like 10 days ago, Tesla beat all the predictions. And during the pandemic, between three and six months in the pandemic, they, the share value doubled. It is $1,300 share Tesla. And it's a global worth. The net worth is now, it is much larger than the combined worth of behemoths like G, Ford, Chrysler. It beat Toyota already uh, as the largest and most valuable company in the world. It's amazing that it just happened right now in the middle of the pandemic in the US. Not only that, there are two other things I would say. California is one of the worst hits state in terms of the pandemic. We are struggling, we are part of it now. And last month on 25th, California came out with the advanced clean trade regulation in the middle of the pandemic again, uh, which is first in the entire world to commit his zero emission heavy trucks as part of um, the mandate, um, which will ask the manufacturers of the class, what they call class 2B to 8, um, to certain percentage of the production has to be zero emission between the year 2024 to 2035. Uh, and they have said clear by 2035, zero emission truck chases sales should need to be 55% of class 2B and three trucks and 75% of the class four to eight trucks and 40% of truck tractor sales. And there's not only that, and California also requires the fleet operators and companies using the fleet to report the composition of you know, how they're using, uh, particularly fleet owners having 50 or more trucks um, about the fleet operation. This is with the future in mind to, to provide a mandate from the user side as well, how much of the fleet should be clean truck or clean vehicle. So this again happened just last month when Clifon is battling uh, the pandemic. And, and just off the heart of the press, sir, I don't know which part of the news, just now this morning I come across 15 states, uh, bipartisan, 
uh, including the city of Columbia, obviously California, Colorado, name them, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, etc. Et the governor signed the MOU committing to what he called zero out toxic air pollution from medium and heavy trucks by 2050 and launching a multi-year action which essentially keeping the air pollution in mind but directly benefiting uh, the GHE reduction as well. All that I'm saying is it is so fascinating this is happening right in the US uh, the market responding to a EV company so favorably the governors are going ahead doing this and they won't do this unless as we know it's a common sense it benefits their economy, the health of the community, and business. So this is something I'm, I'm really happy to see in the US. And if this trend continue, the leadership continues from the business and the government, given the fact that EV share in the US fleet is just about 2%, I see a massive potential right here in the US. And, and in India, it is, it is slightly different. Obviously, Nilima uh, set out the negative impact of pandemic, and I think, I don't have to go into the detail, but all that lead to, there is no state level collaboration at this point on EV in India, uh, which is you know, what I just said about uh, US, uh, whether it is carbon pricing or the Clean Air Act or the regional carbon markets all devolved in the US. There's no such big initiative there, but I think effort like done by CSIS and other partners bringing US state and Indian states, in addition to sharing the best practices from US to India, the spirit of collaboration, the benefit of collaboration, you know, why US states would come together to do something which Indian state cannot do. Uh, I think something that sort would be extremely helpful. And I believe the message from CSI and other partners would be uh, sharing the benefit of coming together. Um, and that I think I look forward to when Indian state come together, work like a coalition collaboration and initiative like EV. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you, Sid. Those are great, uh, great examples of of positive areas uh, of opportunity. Neil Lama, did you want to add any additional ones from your work? Um, well, uh, Sarah, I think Siddharth has sort of, you know, hit the nail on its head, you know, about bringing, just sort of suggesting how important these subnational collaboration becomes important in the context of pandemic. I would like to do point out, uh, you know, the, uh, the importance of uh, collaboration on R&D, which continues to uh, not see enough traction in India, especially in a, in a niche sector uh, such as electric mobility, R&D will continue to play a huge role in just making this transition more sustainable and more self-reliant. But there are two specific areas that I would like to point out where I feel the US could actually create huge advantage uh, for the Indian mobility sector. One is uh, access to finance. So the SMEs uh, in India or the startup ecosystem in India thrives uh, and is thriving in especially in the electric mobility sector. And I think if, if the U.S. states, uh, through these subnational collaborations, are able to identify specific opportunities to financially support the SMEs, uh, I think that would go a long, long way. The second is, of course, the, the talent 
the general talent challenge that the uh, that the EV ecosystem is facing at the moment. So that's where the need of um, uh, you know technical exchanges, capacity building, uh, skill set strengthening, uh, you know, sort of areas of collaboration would play a key role. Now, the third is a little more geopolitical, as you know, that the tensions along the, the India-China border have prompted India to take uh, certain measures to sort of, uh, you know, impose uh, these uh, restrictions on the uh, Chinese imports. There are India's already planning to impose tariffs on imports of uh, lithium-ion cells, uh, which are the building blocks for, for electric vehicles and battery charging infrastructure in the country. Now, globally, as you know, Sarah, lithium ion cell manufacturing is dominated by, by China, followed by US. So this is where the US should see a huge opportunity, uh, you know, in investing within India to sort of replace that uh, or substitute that import. And it's not just about investment, but possibly US could also handhold uh, several Indian state governments in creating a policy of import substitution because there needs to be a well thought out, comprehensive uh, policy in place that results not just in a holistic um, EV ecosystem, but a more real time integrated ecosystem. And I think that's where the subnational collaboration could play a key role. That's an excellent point. Yeah, in an area where our program is doing some work, thinking about critical mineral supply chains, particularly in light of some of the trends that we're seeing coming out of uh, COVID-19 and the uh, uncertain sort of aftermath of the situation. Those are very useful points. I think we should really work deep into uh, mm. those, all the initiatives, three, four initiatives, I just need them laid out. Um, I think when we try to get out of the pandemic, particularly subnational level. The one thing I noticed both common in the US is there is only so much the federal government able to do. Um, mm. So the recovery of its state economy is going to be with the states, their leadership, what sort of policy they put in place and what sort of resilient mechanisms uh, they have. That's going to determine how they're going to come out of it. I think going forward, when we try to come out of this scenario, you know, what sort of lesson U.S. and state could share with each other and any common recovery plan. And some of the what Neelima said is exactly the same thing. It should benefit U.S. state and certainly India for sure. And I, in this contest, we are clearly working with our partners, including CSIS, Rocky Mountain Institute, NRDC, LBNL, ICCT and others to take some of the U.S. specific expertise to India, particularly on Givi, whether it is California Clean Air Act or the zero emission vehicle mandates, the fiscal, non-fiscal incentives, and technical expertise on charging infrastructure, and so on. We just made a good beginning, and CSA is going to play an important role in this. And I look forward to more intense collaboration with the US states and India in specific areas, including manufacturing, which is what India prioritizing as from the political economy perspective, and how those ecosystem of manufacturing, which has come up in the US, could also be replicated in India. And I think US has a great role to play. Excellent. Well, that is a great point to end on. I want to say thank you very much, 
uh, to both Siddhartha and to Nilama for joining us for this important discussion today. And certainly we'll put some resources on the website so people can take a deeper dive into some of the reports that we've been publishing and some of the partners in this collaboration have been publishing as well. I just want to say a big thanks again to Nilama and Siddhartha for joining us today and uh, look forward to continuing this conversation with you uh, on a future episode of Energy 360. Thanks a lot, Sarah, and all of the colleagues in CS. Nilima, everybody, for putting this up. Thanks for uh, facilitating this. Thanks to Nilima and Siddharthan for joining us this week. I want to note that for the second year, ClimateWorks is supporting CSIS efforts to track electric mobility progress in India. Keep an eye out for more on that work later this year. And thanks for listening. Find more episodes of Energy 360 wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us online at CSIS.org or follow us on Twitter at CSIS Energy. 